Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church and we hope to be meeting in a new building somewhere in the Los Feliz area very soon in 2021. We are in a new phase of lockdown life. The first Sunday of each month will be a live Zoom service at 10.30am. Do join us for those. We found it to be pretty soul-restoring to get together in a way that feels real, virtual as they may be. The other three services of the month are pared down, consisting of just a talk and a song of worship. We plan to provide you with more online worship and teaching resources, and to pour our energies into more personal connections. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to schedule a call, or if you'd like us to be praying for you in specific ways. But in the meantime, join us on our quest to understand Jesus' call to rest. It's both active and essential, and is the place out of which Jesus could be and do all that he was called to. It may well feel like this is the least intuitive thing to be focusing on right now, for reasons we could probably all list, but it is what we believe God is calling us to, a reorientation of our soul towards him and others. We're praying for you and we're here. Enjoy this week's podcast. Here we are, we have survived another week. For many, Wednesday's changes in the White House marked a giant exhale, a new sense of hope and relief about the prospect of, ideally, being bored by politics again quite soon. It's a tough truth, though, that so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ feel so differently about the at least next four years. And so our message to all of us, wherever we sit on the spectrum, is that we should be, as the speech is highlighted, the voices of grace and peace and unity. I found, as I know many of you did, the service very, very moving. Most of all, the extraordinary poem by 22-year-old Amanda Gorman. Forgive my woefully inferior recital, but let me just remind you of a little bit of it. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge a union with purpose to compose a country committed to all cultures, colours, characters and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must first put our differences aside, to lay down our arms so that we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all, Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. There is some serious kingdom truth there. But I want to focus on something specific from this, as unpopular a notion as it is. Because much as we feel like the hope and the growth part of the end of the excerpt there, feeling the hurt and engaging in the grief are the only ways we get there. We're called to be grieving, ladies and gentlemen. And there can be little growing if we can't commit to this grieving process. Let me say that again a little bit more clearly because this is a statement I plan to back up with gospel and scientific truth this morning. There can be little growing if we can't commit to this grieving process. We are dealing with the collective loss of the world we knew. Some aspects of social norms we've been accustomed to are gone, 
Some won't come back. People all over our nation and world are facing, in terms of at least the last two generations, unprecedented loss. Businesses, homes, financial security, healthy bodies, relationships, rites of passage. And for so many, I believe, the simple belief that life is going to work out okay. It's of course not a new reality for many, but that doesn't change it. It is sad and it must be grieved. Injustice and loss must be grieved. As we continue to wrestle with the realities that for some of us, our eyes have been opened to in the racial reckoning that began last summer. We can't hold hope, the volume of hope that we as a church must hold for change in the nation when it comes to what has been so unjust for 400 years. We can't hold that hope if we haven't grieved first. Hope and grief are two sides of the same coin. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce any fruit. In our church, we have experienced losses including the death of close family members, the loss of babies, the loss of marriages, the really, really big stuff. And we are called to grieve with those who grieve, to hold space, to pray, to be with. If you know someone who is grieving, they don't need your wisdom on what God is doing through this. Never ever be that person. They need you to tell them that God is with them and that you're with them and that you're praying for them. Grief is about the loneliest of times that we will ever go through. But... Because we cannot give away in any of these things what we haven't learned to receive, all of this has to start with personal grief. So let me ask you, what are you grieving? What have you lost? Don't fall into the traps of comparison here, which I know so many of us are prone to. Like, I haven't lost a family member, so I can't complain about, you know, the job I lost or the celebrations that I've missed this year. It's no big deal, comparatively. Loss isn't relative, and none of it is inconsequential in the kingdom. The grieving that God calls us to enter into into himself isn't a finite resource, like, okay, I need a level four cry from you about those dashed career dreams, but don't go on too long, because I've also got a breakup and a house falling out of escrow, and that's in your small group alone. That's not even to mention how many Angelinos are grieving the loss of good friends leaving town right now, so spit spot, you're on the clock. None of this is finite. Loss, whatever it is, must be grieved. So what have you lost in this pandemic? You might want to stop here, write down some thoughts or have a conversation about it right now. Be honest with yourself. Knows it all anyway. I wanted to touch on a few of the reasons that we might find it difficult to grieve our losses in holy ways. I think for most of us, if we grew up in church, we learnt to view spiritual health as something quite different to emotional health, or more specifically, it had no room for our negative emotions, the sadness, the anger, the disgust and the fear. Those were sort of put in a more sinful category than healthy category. And our models of spiritual health haven't always been like anything anything like the models that we've had for emotional health. 
And this has led to some real and sad and actually dangerous disconnect. Because from the day we are born, the day we lose the comfort of our mother's wombs, until the day we die, life is full of loss. It's full of beauty and joy and other wonderful things too. But knowing how to deal healthily with loss is a major theme of discipleship and knowing God. The earliest Hebrew writings are full to the brim of their primal understanding on this. Whole books of the Old Testament, including about two thirds of the Psalms, are written about sadness and loss. Examinations of what we are to do and how we are to feel about the condition in which we find ourselves. It's very clear to the Hebrews that this tradition of lament is not just about having an outlet for the frustration or for the sheer lack of reasoning to the suffering that we all endure in this life, but it's also about knowing that God laments too. He grieves about his fallen creation. He laments for his people. He's devastated by their turning away from him. The scriptures never showed any other kind of God. One of the very first descriptions we get of God made man, as he was foretold by the prophet Isaiah, was that Jesus would be despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And one of the most striking things about this fully human life that Jesus leads is that he shows us that life involves grief. He shows us with the death of Lazarus. He doesn't say, guys, get up, get up, stop wailing, watch this, before he raises him from the dead. And he doesn't actually weep. He rages with them as closer to the meaning in the dream. Guttural snorts are what are denoted. Because of the pain of his friends, because of the reality of loss and death, the universality of a world gone wrong, he stands at that tomb as he stands at all tombs saying, this is not what was supposed to be. Then a bit later in the Garden of Gethsemane from Matthew 26, he asks his disciples to keep watch and pray while he goes out to pour out his pain on his father. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. The anguish in this account. I feel so bad that I could die is another translation. Jesus shows us that in the face of loss, he needed his closest friends keeping watch. He needed them praying. He needed them. Isn't that a thing? Jesus needed the waking support and prayer of his friends, just like every one of us does. That he felt the pain of disappointment when they failed to do that on top of everything else he knew was coming. The godly human response to the pain of this world is to cry out and tell our Father in heaven how much it hurts. And for Jesus, there wasn't a hint of, yes, this is hard, but I will proclaim that you are on the throne, Father, or I am very scared, but thank you, God, that I can trust you and thank you for this trial. He pleads with him for another way. And then the next day on the cross, my God, my God, quoting the psalmist, why have you forsaken me? Not, I will rise again, or victory is going to be ours, or some last heroic, victorious charge like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There is nothing Hollywood about Jesus' death. If we want to live the way that Jesus showed us how to live, 
we must weep, we must rage, we must grieve. We must walk through the valleys and shadows with our eyes and our hearts open wide to feel them. Not just because this is where health comes from in terms of all unknown studies into emotional, social and psychological health, it is, but because it is being one of Jesus' followers, living lives that aim to be like him, understanding that as we do this, he frees us from the fear and the distrust and the blame and the jealousy and all of the gross stuff that naturally breeds in loss ungrieved and wounds unhealed. I have seen this festering take place. Do not make those mistakes. Allow him in. Let him clear the space because he always makes beauty from the ashes when we let him. And I know it can feel self-indulgent to enter into this work, but nothing can be further from the truth. This is about being in step with God, his spirit who groans within us as we groan within the pain of the whole creation. Groan with him like David did. Heal me, for my bones are shaking with terror, in Psalm 6. Why do you stand far off, O Lord, in Psalm 10? Why do you hide yourself in a time of trouble? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? When was the last time you prayed like that? I'm pretty good at feeling, naming and expressing my feelings. A little too good, my sisters and probably Ed will tell you. I'm also a crier. You'll know this about me if we spent much time together at all. Heck, you'll know this about me if you've ever listened to me preach a sermon. My eye ducts are overperformers, and they like to drag my whole face into the situation. They are massive, cryy show-offs, and they embarrass me regularly, and sometimes I wonder if they're on the same team as the rest of me in my endeavour to convince the world that I'm an independent, strong woman. I've always scored high on any empathy scales. I feel uh, things for other people very acutely too. In any given day, I could cry about my own disappointments, an ad on TV, a text from a friend who is suffering, a homeless lady in a CVS parking lot, and just remembering again how sweet the taste of grace is. It is a weird blessing and at times a pretty heavy burden, which I know is something that other people who are highly empathetic would say, when we are not operating in the lightness that Jesus promises. I should also say that I count myself as highly privileged to work in an environment where I am free, actually, to express my feelings. But what I am realising in the midst of this process, the more and more time um, in this grief, is that I really don't do very well at actually bringing this sadness to God. I have realised that I believe it's kind of on me to get past the sadness in order to come to him and pray about the issues that are making me sad. I'm working on this at the moment. But how about you? After the death of his wife, C.S. Lewis wrote, No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. Studies have found that sadness, like fear, is a stress reaction accompanied by stark physiological changes like increased levels of cortisol, disrupted sleep, weakened immune system, loss of appetite. Sadness certainly doesn't sell itself well. It doesn't feel good. In fact, it makes us weak in most measurable ways, unlike anger, which makes us feel strong and right. Who wants to feel more weak right now? Sadness isn't a role that any of us want to play on the weekly Zoom, is it? 
Hi guys, it's me, sad again. And all this is certainly linked to our culturally indoctrinated instruction, which tells us to hide and deny our sadness, medicate it in fact, with whatever we need to, to bring back the illusion that we are strong and okay. And if we were to look at any culture's comfort with sadness, funeral rituals would be um, a good place to start, wouldn't they? Many cultures still practice mourning rituals um, all over the world today. Ritualised wailing among families and neighbours, special mourning clothes, severe restriction on social and work lives for protracted periods of time, or recognising the magnitude of what it is to lose something so enormous as a loved and cherished human life. Sharing in this together as a community. I'm sure you've heard of Olulation or Zagruta, which is, um, you may have seen it in news footage of war-torn Middle Eastern areas. It's that high-pitched shriek trilling sound that women make. And you can actually hire people to come and do this at your funeral services in many places, places throughout the region. The thing is with this sound is that not only it creates a sense of unity just in the experience of hearing it together, it also helps the listener through just the way our social brains are wired to release their pain. The same way that hearing a crying baby as a matter of evolution causes anyone to feel distress. Hearing someone cry shrilly can actually help you release your pain. And we have done done away with pretty much all ritualised expressions of grief in the last hundred years in most of the Western world. We've all but removed grief from the public shared reality and replaced it with this lie that rational people can keep their mourning under control, that grief is actually something to be ashamed of even. When deaths are happening in Los Angeles at a rate that mean they've had to suspend regulations about crematorium restrictions, it's surely time that we address this that we become the church who understands and helps our culture grieve the pain of loss. So let us start this today with ourselves. We are the only species who cry emotional tears. This function remains 150 years or so after Darwin declared it evolutionary, evolutionarily purposeless, one of the body's biggest mysteries. We do know that crying releases oxytocin and endogenous opioids, and it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which all aids soothing rest and a sense of well-being. The cool intake of air that's involved in sobbing helps regulate the temperature of the brain. And a study um, at Yale recently showed that crying for any reason helps restore emotional equilibrium. Studies agree that crying is our body's way to help us recover from pain. We are just so flipping fearfully and wonderfully made, are we not? So, if this isn't too personal a question, given that I've already boasted about being a really overachiever in this area, how are you at crying? If it is not something that you excel at, let me share this with you. The practice of healthy crying is inextricably linked to our early attachments. In fact, the vast majority of research in this area agrees that our attitudes and our abilities to feel and express all emotions are linked to our parents' comfort with those same feelings. All of this stuff is hardwired in you by them, the way that they attended to or avoided attending to your feelings before you were even conscious of having feelings. 
I don't bring your early years into this for you to blame anyone. Our caregivers are only dealing with the cards they have dealt without Jesus' intervention after all. I tell you this to remind you that we were all innately made to grieve, to groan, to cry, male and female, because this is the godly response to a broken world. As healthy followers of Jesus, made in the image of God, we are made to feel and express all emotions all the way around the range of them. So, if expressing sadness does not come naturally to you, let me suggest a few things. Journal. Naming your feelings takes process. Try writing them out. It takes practice and uh, it's something that we actually have to learn to do, but it's a great way to start. Same thing with talking to trusted friends or therapists. Your feelings are valid and vital and they deserve your attention. Do not fear them and bring them to him. However you best do this, go on a run, drive to a deserted place, put on some worship music in your ears and remind yourself of how good he is and how much he loves you. Start to tell him like David did. Shout at him, scream at him. In the valley of the shadow of our visa delay, I developed a little habit of driving to a crossroads of nowhere meets loads of fields in outer Oxfordshire and screaming. It usually took me a minute or two to warm up and I often had to listen to really loud music to just kind of have the courage to do it, but I found it to be an incredible cathartic release. Try not to scare anyone if you're going to do this, uh, but uh, maybe find somewhere very remote, but let it out. Start somewhere. The stone cold truth of this is that grief hurts. It is messy. It is sad. It means looking at what has been lost and being honest about what we feel about it. And it doesn't follow neat patterns or processes. It has the power to hurtle you from depression to anger to denial and back again via bargaining in the space of a day. Our godly urges to create order out of the whole thing don't have much place here. Meaning can't come before mess. Healthy gratitude can't come before the mess. Growing through the experience of loss cannot come before the mess. There is no way to bypass it. But that's the thing with the weakness that it involves, is that it's where he is strong. In fact, it's where grief scientists and the gospel agree entirely on another thing. Grief leaves fertile soil. Grieving what has gone before empties our souls of all kinds of junk and leaves us with more space created for what is coming. A holy vacancy is what Pete Scazzaro, the guy who wrote the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality stuff that we did a, a series on last year, is what he calls it. A holy vacancy. And it leaves us never the same. Loss enlarges us. As we learn the pain, we share growing larger and larger, the more we allow God into it. So can I encourage you now, in this space that you've made to watch or listen to this this morning, to go there, to bring it to him, to ask him to bring it to you if you're really not sure what it is you need to be grieving. Loss has been an almost universal experience in all of this, for all of this, all of us.
So let's now, as this song starts to play, try to open ourselves. Holy Spirit, thank you for the unbelievable truth that you are already at work in these things, even before we're aware of it. Thank you that we can join you in the groaning that you are always doing, the pain that you share with us as we experience life in a world that we're not made for. Thank you that you always bring hope alongside this. Thank you that you promise to restore and rebuild. Help us now to open ourselves to you. Come Holy Spirit. Help us to trust you, your gentle touch, as we open ourselves and release our pain. Will you help those of us who need to, to cry and help all of us to trust you, the gentle work of your hand, the one who loves to bring goodness and redemption and power and life and love and meaning from all of the death and destruction that we go through. Be with us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Back next week. In the glory of your presence, I find rest for my soul in the
Zen.